0: we're on the record. I'm Sheila Cass. Good morning. Ten years ago this month, a 26-year-old man with Down syndrome died when off-duty Frederick County Sheriff's deputies used force to remove him from a movie theater. His larynx was fractured. His death was ruled a homicide as a result of asphyxia. The deputies were not charged, but Ethan Saylor's death has prompted a big change in law enforcement in Maryland. Later in the show, we'll speak with Ethan's mom about his legacy and her hopes that it will grow. First, we'll talk to two people who lend shape and voice to that legacy. Lisa Shanebroat, Edd is a professor of speech-language pathology at Loyola University, Maryland, and co-owner of LeadAbility, LLC. She's co-designed a curriculum to train police and first responders. Welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you, Sheila. It's wonderful to be here.
0: And before I introduce one of the educators you work with, Professor Shane Brod, tell us how we got from that tragedy in Frederick 10 years ago to a situation in which every new law enforcement and corrections officer in Maryland is required to learn how to communicate with people who have intellectual or developmental disabilities, IDDs.
1: Thank you, Sheila. I, I um, want to say that this is really on all uh, has to do with uh, Patty Saylor and her family and the change that they have been able to implement and get in Maryland as a res- the tragic result of, of Ethan's death. All law enforcement has to participate in training, whether it's at the entry level for eight hours or whether it's continuing education for every three years for four hours of training on things like the characteristics, communication, behaviors, and, and uh, the law surrounding um, people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. We've gone a long way as a result of their work in making this a positive impact, across the state of Maryland, which is actually very unique in the state of Maryland as
0: well. And part of what was set up by the legislature was that whatever the training would be, people who have IDDs must be a meaningful part of that training.
1: Correct. And that was really part, and that was how the Ethan Sailor Commission evolved and the work that they had in particular, stated, of course, that people with lived experience as self-advocate educators must participate in authentic role-play scenarios with law enforcement so that the law enforcement officers are able to practice the skills that they learned through the curriculum that has also been created in order to provide that training.
0: So now I want to introduce Kayla Grange, who is one of the self-advocate educators or SAEs, welcome to the show, Kayla. Hello. Tell us a bit about yourself, Kayla. You attend Bowie State University. Yes, I do. What year are you in?
2: I am a. I'm currently a sophomore.
0: And what are you studying?
2: Visual communications, digital media, and arts, and it is long abbreviation of this VCDMA. My concentration is in fashion design.
0: Whoa. How did you get involved, Kayla, with training law enforcement?
2: Originally, my brother was the person who Miss Lisa had um, done the interview with. But at towards the end, my mom asked me, hey, do you want to join in? I was like, sure. So I went to the interview room and she just helped me, done little surveys of just based on what I could do. And then from there, that's how I was able to join.
0: Have you had a personal experience with law enforcement, Kayla, that made you wanna be part of this?
2: I have an older brother who is on the autism spectrum. And whenever he has his meltdown, such as yelling, running away, and stuff like that, whenever police officers trying to fight him, they always calm him down and just make sure everything was okay. And
0: are you on the spectrum too? Yes, I am. Dr. Shainbrode, it's a tall order to raise awareness and the skill level of law enforcement recruits so that they understand how to behave when they encounter someone with an intellectual or developmental disability. You've worked a lot with Associate Professor of Literacy, Leah Saul. How did you know what to teach and how to teach it? When we received this um, uh, initial
1: grant from the Maryland Department of Disabilities to go ahead and start this, we developed the role play scenarios along with our partner at PG County uh, Municipal Police Academy because we really needed to know what kinds of calls they would respond to because we wanted to make those role play scenarios to be authentic. Once we knew what the scenario was and we mapped it out, then it was we sat and thought a bit about a being, you know, developing a script. But a script doesn't allow you to be authentic in what you're doing and be able to role play often and repeatedly during the sessions and be able to have a different outcome each time so we went to the literature and we looked up different ways to go about doing this training and we came up with improv and that is how we spent many many hours training our self-advocate educators first with doing improv exercises and then being able to get them to move beyond that and practice in the role play scenarios a lot and showing a lot of emotion we wanted to be sure that we could engage our self-advocate educators um, for a long time with police officers in other words we wanted to be sure that there was um, a way for them to the police officers to really practice their skills so um, we taught them things like again like really displaying a lot of emotion and actually displaying a lot of unexpected behaviors because As we know with our self-advocate educators, they are paid as paid actors with lived experience in our role-play scenarios, and so we know that they're law-abiding citizens and they would never want to not behave correctly in a situation. So we trained them though that they needed to be this way so that they could really engage both law enforcement and of course we've expanded to EMS and other areas to be able to do that, and it has been highly successful.
0: Kayla, had you done improv before? Other than this improv,
2: not really. The main improv that I've done in the LeadAbility program was mainly in this.
0: And what's it like?
2: Program. It's really nice. And when it comes to me improv, it's basically thinking about how to act in the moment and thinking about lived experiences and putting it into the work of helping police officers. Not just helping police officers when it comes to improv in general. It just depends what your goal is when it comes to using improv.
0: This is On The Record. I'm Sheila Cast, speaking with Dr. Lisa Shanebrodt, a professor in Loyola University, Maryland's Department of Speech, Language, Hearing Services, and with self-advocate educator Kayla Grange. We're talking about their efforts to train police officers and first responders in how to deal with people with intellectual or developmental disabilities. Let's hear part of a session with new recruits. The scenario, the role play is a young woman with autism has locked herself in her room, and her mom calls the police.
2: Don't make me hurt myself. With what? It's none of your business. Kayla, open the door. I said it's not your business. Kayla, if you don't open the door, I'm gonna
1: have to call 911.
0: No. Responding to the call, a soft-spoken police officer tries to find a bond with Kayla.
2: What?
3: Ma'am, I'm Officer Jackson Morgan State Police Department. Are you okay?
2: Yes, I'm okay.
3: Would you like to talk to me? No. So we can see what's going on? No.
2: Well, what's going on, ma'am? It's none of your damn business.
3: No, I understand that, but I'm trying to help you. You know,
2: your mother told me that, you know, you had weapons, so... I don't have a she weapon. She's lying.
0: Another officer tries to persuade Kayla to leave her room without the knife.
2: So what What will make you feel comfortable for you to come out? get out of the house. For us to get out of the house? Yes. Okay, but in order for us to get out of the house, we need, to know, we need to make sure that you're safe and that your mom is safe too. You having a weapon is not being safe because you can hurt yourself. You can hurt
0: yourself. I'm fine. I am using it for
2: my protection. For your protection? From who? My mom. She's, she thinks she's in charge of everything, but she's not.
0: It takes more minutes of Kayla explaining her frustrations before she opens the door. The tension is diffused. Kayla, you were improvising that scene. Do you remember what you were thinking? I
2: remember like how my brother would react whenever they would whenever he gets upset whenever a th- somebody who who like a loved one or a family member tells him what to do. He reacts in an aggressive manner. So I tried to put myself in his shoes in a way to Encourages, challenges police officers to do the work.
0: Yeah, you were challenging. <laughs> you, you really made them work with you before you reached a point when you, were com- when you indicated that young lady was comfortable opening the door. Professor Shanebrot, you debriefed first responders after a, a training session. What do they learn from role play like this?
1: Oh, they learn so much from the actual, you know, being involved in the role play situation. Um, some of the questions we ask them is in particular in a situation like this, if if they're not told when we mock call nine one one, you know, what the disability might be, then they are they are trying to figure that out as they're going through there. So we're asking them things like what kinds of um indicators or um characteristics or things that you noticed might have indicated to you that this was somebody that might have a disability or somebody with a difference. And they'll go through and and talk about some of that. And some of our self-advocate educators are, it's more, it's more apparent, I would say, in terms of that there might be something going on, like they might have a communication problem, might be difficult to understand. But in this case, it's very hard to figure that out because Kayla is very very clear about her communication and her intent. So we talked through that. We also took talk through how it is that they might have to change their communication behavior or um, their behavior in general in order to be able to um, forge a relationship with this person to be able to do what is best for everyone in that situation. And that's where it's really important that we also have whoever is partnering partnering with us so for example in in this particular situation it was our it was law enforcement um the director who was facilitating the class as well. And he was able to come in and talk about the policing aspect of that as, you know, in addition to what we were providing as professionals in communication that way. And so that's really important. And then they also learned things about body language, like what kinds of things could you do to, you know, of course, we know that she was behind a quote unquote closed door, but at the same time, how to change your tone of voice and how to be able to, uh, allow her to feel like she can trust police officers so that she would open the door in that situation and i think you may have noticed in that particular scene that the female officer did they sort of changed roles and she came forward to maybe take a different type of role of maybe playing a supportive like parent or something someone else that Kayla might be able to trust if she wasn't working well with the other law enforcement officer
0: i want to go deeper into one of the points that you made I, I understand that in the role play it wasn't immediately obvious that the young lady had a developmental disability, but generally going into the role play, officers know that's why they're there. In the real world, there's no way to tell by looking at someone.
1: No, they. It's and that is the thing, the key thing that we tell the officers is that many of the disabilities and many people they encounter, they have invisible disabilities. And so that you cannot just see them right off the top there. And that's why this training is really so important, because it gives them tools in a kit to be able to think about the fact that, oh, okay, somebody is displaying something that's a little bit different. It's not exactly what I would expect. And of course, we also know that we're in a stressful situation. So this becomes amplified, but it does make them be able to stop and slow down and think, okay, maybe I need to approach this in a different way. What was it that I did back in that class that I learned that maybe I can pull out now and start to use and to be able to facilitate the interaction to make it better? And, you know, the biggest thing that comes out of this too, Sheila, is that time, the time that they're able to spend on the call is so important. And that really can make or break the outcome of what happens.
0: How many law enforcement officers have been trained? Law, between law enforcement
1: and, and I have to conclude EMS as well, we've had over close to seven or 800 that we've been able to train through our program.
0: Kayla, what does it mean to you to be involved in training law enforcement and first responders this way?
2: It means to me that I'm educating, I am challenging, and encouraging these police officers how to Handle with people dis- with disabilities in a more calmer manner instead of more strict, stern, and authoritarian type of manner. You could use a calm but direct way of explaining why a person with disability is in the wrong, not in the wrong, but more like a call, more like to calm them down and just to find a way to comfort them and using different strategies that will make the officer um, challenge themselves to help these people.
0: Kayla, thank you. You're welcome. And Professor Shanebrodt, thank you also. Thank you very much. Kayla Grange, a sophomore at Bowie State University who is on the autism spectrum, is a self-advocate educator with LeadAbility, LLC. It trains law enforcement and first responders in Maryland in how to interact with people who have intellectual or developmental disabilities. Dr. Lisa Shanebrood is a professor of speech-language pathology at Loyola University, Maryland. She and her colleague Leah Saul organized LeadAbility and its curriculum. Quick break on the record, then we'll talk to Ethan Saylor's mother. I'm Sheila Cass. Stay with us. Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. Robert Ethan Saylor would be 36 years old now if he hadn't been pulled from a movie theater in Frederick when he tried to stay for a second showing of Zero Dark Thirty without buying another ticket. If the three sheriff's deputies working side jobs as theater security that day 10 years ago had heeded Ethan's aid when she warned against touching the young man with Down syndrome if he hadn't been handcuffed on the floor, if his larynx had not been fractured. The medical examiner ruled Ethan Saylor's death a homicide as a result of asphyxia. Every day since January 12, 2013, Ethan Saylor's mom, Patty, has worked toward erasing the risk that what happened to her son could happen again. We ask her to spend a few minutes with us discussing Ethan Saylor's legacy. Welcome back to the show, Patty. Thanks for having me. Less than three years after Ethan died, Maryland started requiring that new law enforcement recruits get eight hours training in how to interact with people who have intellectual or developmental disabilities, IDDs. To me that seems like a lot. What is your assessment?
3: It seems like a lot that they would be required to have training or it seems like a lot that, that it only took three years.
0: I guess I was trying to say it's, it seems like progress, that training was instituted as a requirement to be a law enforcement officer, a corrections officer, a first responder.
3: Well, absolutely. Um, in the wake of Ethan's death, there was outrage across the entire country, and even internationally. So a strong and intense uh, grassroots movement for something to be done happened during those three years. And one of the outcomes of that was um, the state law that was passed in Maryland that required um, that people with disabilities take part in those trainings. Again, the the Police Training Commission in Maryland um, self-imposed mandated training at the end of those three years of advocacy. So the training has to happen for all people uh, entering a police academy, our Law Enforcement Academy, and then every three years thereafter. And that was the result of the intense advocacy of many, many people. So yes, it is a lot, and um, we were very proud that we had that accomplishment.
0: 300 law enforcement officers trained in Maryland, nearly 400 first responders. Could what happened to Ethan happen today in Maryland?
3: Oh, it absolutely could happen. Uh, because there are so still so many misconceptions and stereotypes and um, that not only law enforcement but people in the general public have so um, we we don't rest at this point um, I do believe there's probably more law enforcement officers than that that have been trained that perhaps are the numbers for the one program of through Loyola um, but there are other entities in the state that are doing law enforcement training so we know that all academies and there are 17 or 18 academies in the In the state must have um, this training for their entry-level officers. So many uh, law enforcement officers have been trained in since 2015 and even the uh, in-service officers, the veterans, must have training every three years. So, um, you know, training is only one piece. There needs to be um, the people have to integrate that into their thinking and change their behavior when they interact with somebody with a disability. And and we all know that change takes a little bit more time. So the risk is still there. We still need to be vigilant. And um, we hope that our law enforcement officers will have some patience.
0: That's Patty Saylor, mother of Ethan Saylor, a young man with Down syndrome who died 10 years ago this month at the hands of off-duty sheriff's deputies in Frederick County. This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. We're talking about Ethan Saylor's legacy. Are other states doing what Maryland is doing? Yes, there are are efforts
3: underway in many states to bring people with disabilities and law enforcement officers together to build relationship and and for the officers to have training. Unfortunately, there's no systemic effort across the country. And I'm not aware of any states that have passed any legislation that would bring people with disabilities into the leadership roles of the training. I think Maryland is unique in that. There are efforts underway, um, uh, strong efforts in West Virginia, Kentucky, Ohio, New York, Arizona, uh, Louisiana. Uh, so these are just splintered efforts that people, good people in those states have brought to fruition. But again, we could use something that was more systemic across the country. And we hope to to get there. We hope to work with the Department of Justice that they would actually um, you know, support these trainings throughout um, every state across the country. Are you looking for a federal mandate? We don't think we would get a federal mandate. Um, The word mandate doesn't go over well, you know, so we feel like if the um, Department of Justice um, Office of Community Policing would make grants available to local jurisdictions and to states, that people would be able to use that to implement training. I think the only way to have a mandate is to work with the police commission in each state, to self-impose those um, training uh, re- requirements. You know, we ourselves in Maryland do not have a state mandate that um, the law enforcement be trained. Law enforcement has self-imposed that mandate through their own training hierarchy. So we, the state law we have, the Ethan Saylor Alliance, is to uh, build the capacity of people with disabilities to be a part of those trainings. It is a nuance, and it's a bit difficult to understand, but the uh, Police Training Commission asked us specifically not to get this mandated through law, that they would self-impose this mandate through their own training uh, objectives. And and we did that. We, We trusted that they would do it, and they are doing it.
0: So as we stand here 10 years after Ethan died, what is your agenda? What do you most want to see happen now? Well, I'd
3: like to see more activities throughout the state that build relationship between law enforcement and people with disabilities. And those activities be not only training-based, but just community activities where people come to know each other, knowing each other and breaking down these walls of barriers and stereotypes will keep people safe. And so one way to do that is training. Another way to do that is to be included in your community. I believe that's how we establish safety.
0: And what do you want us to remember about Ethan? <laughs> well, my,
3: my other adult children and I speak of Ethan almost every day and we laugh. He had such a great sense of humor. And I don't think it should be lost on us that Ethan's number one passion in life was law enforcement. And he idolized law enforcement. He wanted to work in, in the for the police. He he just saw the police as good guys, heroes somebody he looked up to and i think that that's really important to remember uh an interesting tidbit we have law enforcement appreciation day on january 9th every year um, and that happens to be ethan's birthday so again Uh another thing that is um, not lost on me that there's we're part of something much bigger here and um that that we remember that ethan lost his life in such a horrific way so that the rest of us could carry on and make something very big happen
0: Patty, I'm grateful to you for talking
3: with us. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for remembering Ethan.
0: Patty Saylor's son, Ethan Saylor, was killed 10 years ago in a clash with off-duty sheriff's deputies working as security at a movie theater in Frederick County. We have more information about the Ethan Saylor Alliance and about the Ethan Saylor Memorial Scholarship awarded through the National Down Syndrome Society each year at the On the Record page at wypr.org. I'm Sheila Cast. Glad you're with us on the record. Join us again tomorrow.